Uh, good morning, everybody. Hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. Genesis chapter 37. And this morning we're going to talk about one of the most popular characters in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Joseph. And uh, he's probably most notarized for his coat of many colors, a little bit of Elton John there. But primarily, the real story about Joseph is about a dream. And we're going to talk about how dreams are the fuel, the high octane of a great life. Most of my story comes from Genesis chapter 37, the first 28 verses, and I'll quote some of them in a few moments. Remember that Joseph is not a story. He's a real, authentic person. I'm convinced that most of us have a longing inside to be a Joseph, you know, one among thousands who gets stirred by a dream. You know, his life, because of the dream, gets thrown into turmoil. He goes on detours and distractions. It's a life of unpredictable mystery and uncertainty, all because of a dream. I wonder if you've had moments in your life when a dream began to emerge in your own heart. Maybe it's a dream of the person you could become, a dream of a life you could live, a dream of, of a unique purpose that you could accomplish. I don't know, but I just know that you're dead without a dream. There just has to be something in you. I mean, for crying out loud, as a 70-year-old man, did any of you other old guys out there ever put a towel around your neck and jump off the front porch, Superman? Was I the only one that did that? Or did you ever have your tricycle and your daddy or somebody put a clothespin with a, a playing card on it so it'd make it sound like a Harley Davidson? And you dreamed you're going to be riding on one? Well, you keep that alive. That's a key, a gateway to life. And God speaks to you with dreams in your heart about what could be that seem to be contradictory to what you're going through right now. What often happens is that we negotiate our lives down to the lesser of the dreams that God gave us. You know, the big dreams, the great dreams, the ones that make the hair stand up on the back of your neck, the ones that make you stop and wonder, holy cow, is this possible? Could I ever really do this? Those are the ones we throw away the most easily. And we end up maybe living the secondary or supplemental dreams and over long periods of time, most people even shove those away. And they live their life essentially dreamless. That's why movies and stories from Peter Pan to Snow White to 300 to any of these fantasies keep coming back because we remember when we were children and naive and didn't know any better, at least we knew how to dream. Boy, we had big plans. And I don't think God ever intended for us to give them up. Your dream has nothing to do with your age. It has nothing to do with your race. It has nothing to do with your current circumstances. That's the beauty of this thing. God doesn't put a, a limit on anything here. Uh, we let culture limit us. We let failure limit us. We let age, I don't know whoever thought up 65 and retire, like to slap them dead. That doesn't exist. I passed 65 a long time ago. I ain't got one dumb thought about retiring. I, I, I equate retirement to death. That's just exactly where I, you won't find retirement in the Bible. I'm sorry. 
Now, you may retire from a career because of maybe age limitations, like an aviation pilot. They put restrictions. But retire? Oh, no, no, no. I'm going pick, to pick up another a dream, another purpose, another destiny. That's what keeps you alive. You watch people retire, and then they pick up every disease in Egypt. Then all they want to talk about is what part of the body hurts and what new medicine they're on and what new problem they got in their blood and high blood pressure. And it's like, oh, man, this is no life at all. You got to have something that drives you forward, something worth living for. Now, here's an interesting thing. It's an irony that when we have our greatest dreams, we are least powerful to make them come true. Ah, it's frustrating. And often the other extreme is that when we have the most opportunity and the most resources and the most capabilities, then we've got the fewest dreams to try to fulfill. That's, it's sad. I wonder where you are in the spectrum of life. Are you still at a place where you have great dreams, but you wonder, could it possibly ever come true? Maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I don't have money enough. Maybe I don't have the right opportunity enough. Maybe my age is a factor. I don't know. Or maybe you're at a place where you've got great capacity, but you don't have any dreams to use those capacities for. Here's Joseph, 17 years old, pinnacle of life, moving from being a kid to being a man. And he had a dream that he shares with his family, and it begins to send his life spiraling into turmoil. In the end, of course, the dream comes true. And we often read that, the finish line, but we don't read what happened in between, which is pretty messy and painful. It's how the dream happens that gives all of us lessons for life. It's what happens from the moment you get the dream to the moment the dream comes true that teaches us how to unleash a God-sized dream. Sometimes you have a dream that's not really your dream. It's somebody else's. You know, you dream of being a rock star, you can't even sing. You watch Braveheart, Gladiator, or 300, and you think, dear God, if I had been born in that time, I could have been a hero. Yeah, no, probably you'd be dead. See, that's not a dream, that's a fantasy. A fantasy is when you borrow somebody else's dream. They're just not you. They're not dreams that come out of your soul, out of your spirit. They're just being pushed on you from the outside. But there are dreams that erupt inside of you, out of your own soul, and they're formed by the very person that you really are. They're formed by the Spirit of God that whispers into every one of us what could happen if you would allow God to harness all of that talent all that gifting, all of that intelligence, all of that capacity, and put it at the feet of the Creator God and allow Him to breathe life into that and erupt your life into a dream that only God could give you and only God could fulfill. You've got to lay it at the feet of God who said, I have plans for you to give you a future and a hope to do you good and not evil. And the trouble is we want to control everything. And I think the reason a lot of people put these dreams aside is because of a false thought. You know, the moment I have a dream, it's supposed to come true. Yeah, and I'm from Washington, and I'm here to help you. Yeah, right. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. The problem is you get a God-sized dream, but you don't get God-sized results in the moment you get the dream. And the whole point of Joseph's story is to teach us that that from the moment God puts this dream inside of us until the moment it comes to fruition, there is going to be often hell to pay. 
there's going to be pain, setback, betrayal, and more problems than you ever dreamed of. And not only against your dream, but against you, the dreamer. So how can we allow God to cause these dreams to come true, not just in my imagination, but in my life? Couple of thoughts. First, you want to prepare your heart to dream. I'm aware that we all dream naturally. Have you ever had a nightmare? A nightmare is the dark side of a dream. Psychologists say that dreams are the metaphoric language of our subconscious. They are really connected to what we're thinking about, hoping for, we're afraid of, or what we're stressed out about. And if you're having regular nightmares, something's terribly wrong in your soul. Maybe because you're anxious, or you're afraid, or you're guilty, or you're filled with shame. You need to deal with this. But we know that something that comes out of our imagination is fueled from our heart. The Bible says, the issues of life come out of our heart. For out of the heart are the issues of life. God goes after the heart. Religion goes after what you wear, eat, drink, sleep, what smoke. It has nothing to do with the internal man. So you can, you can wear the out, outward robes of a particular religion and have nothing in your heart that's changed at all. Nothing. God goes, forgets the exterior, goes right into the heart. That's where everything comes out of. Racism, bigotry, prejudice, judgmentalism, it all comes right out of that stinking heart, which is what God wants to fix and change. I can't fix you. Only God can fix you. You can't fix me. Only God can fix me. But He goes after the heart. Now, think about this. Our focus to have a God-sized dream, we've got to be sure our hearts are prepared to receive that kind of a dream, and you have to have a God-shaped heart. Now, Joseph didn't have a good relationship with his brothers. They had a different value system. Think about it. They're willing to kill their own flesh and blood. They hate him that bad. They've got some major ethical problems as well. They said, well, let's sell Joseph for a profit. Joseph doesn't fit in with their value system. Ever try to do the right thing in a crowd of people doing the wrong thing, and by doing nothing wrong, you become hated and despised that very moment? Hmm. I don't care if it's a corporation or it's Washington, D.C., or it's a theological group. There are people who want to do the wrong thing, and when everybody wants to do the wrong thing, it seems for the moment like the right thing. And if somebody says we shouldn't do this, it's wrong, well, that person kind of ruins it for all the rest. So with Joseph, he's got this conflict with his brothers based primarily on ethical issues. He came back and gave a bad report about the business of his brothers to his dad, and for whatever reason it was, his father, Joseph's father, trusted him that he'd bring an honest report. Now, Jacob might not have been an award-winning father, and he wasn't, but he knew who he could trust. He wasn't stupid. And we find in Joseph, he's at least attempting to be a person of integrity. He's building into his young life an internal GPS, a compass system that said, you need to do what's right. And not because you're going to get punished if you don't, or because anybody's going to know or not know. Not for that reason at all. And it must have been irritating to the brothers to have this dreamer, Joseph, there telling them their behavior was wrong. This is not what we were sent here to do, boys. This is not how much profit we made. You took some out. You're lying to daddy, and I'm going to tell this is wrong. So in Joseph, the dream of God found at least a comfortable place to land in a heart that was moved by what was right. If you're going to unleash a God-sized dream in your life, 
You have to begin by preparing your heart to dream. It's not exciting, but you got to have at least a God-shaped heart. There has to be something in you that wants to do what's right. We fail many times, all of us, but we want to do what's right. David, you look at his life, we look like saints compared to David. He commit, in his culture, he committed murder. He committed adultery. He tried to cover it up. But every time confronted, he said, I'm the man, no excuses, didn't blame anybody. He said, it's my department, it failed, I'm totally responsible. And God loved this guy. He said, David has a heart after my heart. You can have a heart after God, and God's not going to put a God-sized dream in it unless you do. It doesn't mean you're a perfect person. None of these people were. But they, at the end of the day, they wanted to do what was right. And Joseph, although he's a little bit arrogant and a little bit uh, extreme, maybe, maybe a bit haughty as well, I don't know. But at the end of the day, he wanted to do what was right. His brothers did not. And that's where Joseph begins his story. What do you do when you're alone? What do you do when there's nobody to report on you? No one to shout out to your brain whether you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. You're just by yourself, and nobody sees you but God. See, you can know from the start if you can unleash a God-sized dream by whether you desire a God-shaped heart. You won't go far in this journey if you're not at a place you want God to shape your heart and to have His character. I fail many times, but I want to, th- I want to see people like He does. I was interviewed by a reporter a couple of years ago and said, in my older age, have I become more liberal? I said, no. I said, I just have seen God get bigger. When I was younger, I had a small God, you know, a little white Republican God or a Tea Party God, or some of you had a Democrat God. And I said, I got a bigger God. And he doesn't think like I think, and I'm having to stretch to adapt to see people and be gracious and merciful to people I don't particularly like but he happens to love. And if God calls you brother, then I'm going to call you brother. It's just that simple. But it's taken me a long journey to get there, and I want to get there, and I want to see the world the way he sees it, not the way a Baptist sees it, or a Pentecostal sees it, or a Catholic sees it. I'm not here to be a Catholic, or a Baptist, or a Pentecostal, or a Republican. I'm here to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. How would he respond? How would he act? God, help me in all my failure to have that kind of a heart. I think I've made some progress. Believe me. If you'd have heard me 25 years ago, you said, this is not the same guy. I would be embarrassed for you to go back 30 years and hear some of my messages. I'd be ashamed. I hope they burn in hell. I hope nobody ever hears them. (laughs) I've just flat wrong. Now, that's a good thing when you can come to that place. And that proves God's working on your heart. It, It proves He's in there doing something. There's a little bit of remodeling going on. I'm sure not probably, I don't think in a journey you ever get to where he is, but you want to. That's a God-shaped heart. God can put a God-sized dream. I I love this about Jesus. He's God stripped all the way down to his character. And he not only did the right things, he wanted to, no matter what the price. And that's God's invitation to us as we start this journey to prepare our hearts to dream just to have the integrity so we can receive this dream of God. Say, no, I'd like to, but that's wrong. No, I'm not going to do it. Not perfect. And if I fail, take full responsibility and say, I don't want to do that again. I am so sorry. That's, that's all. It's not about being perfect. You can't be perfect. But you can want to be. You can want to do the right thing. Number two, you got to keep an open mind. You got to keep, you know, Christians are accused of being narrow-minded. Ever notice that? That's because the accusations are often always right. 
We are a narrow-minded group of people. It's all about what we don't do. You know, we're not spiritual when you're based on what you don't do. You're essentially legalistic and rule-oriented. But if you read the Bible, you ought to be one of the most mystical and mysterious people on earth. Listen to Joseph's story. God gives him a dream of something that's going to happen way out in the future, and he doesn't have a clue how to make that happen. So the dream doesn't give him control of his life. When God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you, you and your old barren wife Sarah are going to have a baby, you're going to bless all the nations of the earth through your seed, seed, he's, he's 100 and she's 90. He hadn't even got a hot flash, nothing. How many of you know he doesn't have control of his life? And, and I'm going to show you a difference here. Sometimes we would rather have control of our life than a God-sized dream. You know, we want to have control. I want to be able to be, make my life predictable, make it safe, make it secure. If I give it to God, it could be a wild, scary ride, and I don't have control of it. And fewer people than you can imagine want a life like that. They would rather have full control and live a very safe, riskless, boring life that makes no difference in the world. I don't know. I just, there's something in me that just says, I cannot live this way. I, I, I just think it's so boringly safe. You know, there ought to be a, did you see the videos from the phones that have been all over the sports programs today of Auburn fans in their living rooms? Ah! Oh my God! I thought, could that ever erupt at Summit? Could that ever could that ever, ever be possible that conservative people could absolutely lose control, jumping, screaming, and it's all over the news, over a zipped-up bag of air? Amazing. Just amazing to me. Couldn't, there's a threat. We might have some sleep. Ain't nobody coming to church. Unless you go to Green Bay, they'll get out there sub-freezing, naked, paint themselves orange and blue. Whoa! But no, that's God. The weatherman said it could freeze in the northern part of, the, of Texas, so let's all stay home. And apparently Thanksgiving, that's what a lot of you did. Welcome back. Glad you came. And it didn't even, didn't even do what the weatherman thought he might do. But that's just kind of where we live. So I, I, you don't have to like me, but please understand me. I, I just want, I want to, I need more stimulus to be happy. Uh, I'm, I do. Uh, you know, a paycheck and, and retirement, it, it just doesn't appeal to me. I still want to fly a fighter into a dangerous mission. I still want to rescue the damsel from the dragon. I, I, I do. I want to join 300. Give me a spear. Give me a shield. Come back with your shield or come back on it. Okay. Let's rock and roll. Or the guy grinning as he looks at all the Persians coming, and he said, he's grinning like a mule eating briars. And the head 300 guy said, what are you grinning about? He said, I'm just wondering if there's anybody in that crowd man enough to give me a valiant death. Woo! I'm thinking, I want to be part of that crowd. 
<laughs> I know that does not appeal to a lot of you. I understand that. That's why people stay away from church by the thousands, because it is just too boring and predictable. So sometimes the accusers are right about being bored and being narrow-minded. The dream does not give you control of your life from God. It just doesn't. But Joseph, at least he had an open mind. He didn't see how this could happen. He was uncertain about his future. Nothing was going his way. But listen to Genesis 37, verse 11. But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father gave it some thought and wondered what it could mean. He didn't like it. He even rebuked Joseph. But Jacob's mind had been stretched by the presence of God long ago as a young man himself. And he knew very well that God does not always work in a way you can predict or explain. Jacob had been a dreamer too when he was a young man. So what do you do when your son comes to you with a dream from God and you yourself have lived your life because you got a dream from God? Genesis 28 gives us a little picture. Verse 10 through 17. And Jacob went out from Beersheba towards Haran. And he came upon a certain place, and he stayed there all night because the sun was now setting. He took of the stones from the place, made a pillow, and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on earth, the top of it reached into heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. And behold, the Lord stood above it at the top and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land whereon you lie to you, I'll give it into your seed, and your seed shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad in the west, east, north, and south. And in you and in your children shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you. I will protect you in all places where you go and will bring you again into this land. For I will not leave you until what I have done, I have accomplished. That's good for you to know that if God promised it, God said, I'll protect you no matter what hell comes against you. No matter what the prescription the doctor gives you, no matter how bad the economy may look or in your situation, God says, if I made you that promise, I will back up the sun 10 degrees. I'll open the womb of a 90-year-old woman. I'll open the Red Sea. I will hold the sun still. I will do whatever it takes as creator of this earth to see that dream comes true. And I have banked on that my whole life. Then Jacob woke up. And he said, surely the Lord's in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. You ever been there, someplace in your life, and you, God was in it, but you weren't even aware of it until it was over? And he was afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It's none other than Bethel, the house of God, the gateway to heaven. Joseph was at a place in his life totally unaware of God's presence, and boy, that can happen to us in the mundane routine of life. It's kind of odd that we're supposed to be a people who have been encountered by the creator of the universe, and the living God is supposed to live inside of us, and we're unaware. Jacob called that place Bethel because it means house of God. And in the New Testament, you and I are the house of God. God does not dwell in a temple made with hands, and Hebrews 10 says He will never again dwell in a temple. You can rebuild one all you want, but he says, I'll never go back in one. He dwells in you. And it's interesting. We're the house of God, and Jacob was most aware of how unaware he was God was there. <laughs> so Jacob, you know, God works in mysterious ways, uh, and you're not even aware at the time he's in it. 
And uh, Jacob builds a pillar where he had this dream as a reminder that this was the gateway to heaven. And folks, your imagination is a gateway linked to heaven. There's a ladder that God creates that connects you to Him. And He dreams into you. And He speaks into your soul. But you may be unaware God is there. God can't leash His dreams within you if you don't have a heart fueled to dream, if you don't have an open mind, and listen carefully to the voice of God because He's present. I think it's easy to sin against God. It's easy to make stupid choices and decisions to destroy your life and hurt others because you live without any awareness of the presence of God. How can you do that? How can you not be aware of this incredible God and so you, you, you're not even thinking about the decisions you're making are killing you and killing other people? You know when people say, yeah, I have a guilty conscience. Well, I'm not into the guilt game. God took care of that at the cross. But your conscience is where God can speak to you. And he said, you know, that's not a good choice. You shouldn't do this. This is, this is a better choice, and it'll be best for you and your future. I love you, but you can really mess up your life. But if you're not aware of God and have no presence of God, you'll live in an abusive situation. You'll tolerate the unintolerable because you're not aware he's, he's there. You, you'll hijack a car, break into a store and scare people to death or hurt people for a six-pack of beer. You idiot. You don't, have an, you don't have an awareness of God from a tadpole. You don't know. It bothers me. I, I don't know how that gets there. I don't know. But I remember before being a Christian, I was always aware of God. I, if you'd have said, you believe Jesus died on the cross, and I'm in the rock and roll, I said, Blank, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I believed about him. I guess I just didn't know him on a personal basis. And I, I just felt like there was more to life than I had. And I, and I talked to him. And somebody came in a relationship and connected me to Jesus when I was nearly 30 years of age. And so I was a late bloomer. And that began my journey back then. But I always dreamed of having a better life and doing something better than what we're— everybody's getting drunk, everybody's shacked up, three people are killed in a drunk car wreck in the deal. And over and over and I thought, we're making money, but we're not making any life here. I just—God was working on me. He was speaking in me. And there was a dream of something better. And then finally, He gets you to the right person, the right place. There's a connection, a divine appointment. Suddenly you're alive to God. He comes into your heart. And now it starts to make sense what been going on, and little by little he opens the door. It's a long, crazy route to get where you're going to go, but you're on the journey, and I was confident that whatever he had had for me, he'd make it come to pass if I just take today, do what I'm supposed to do today. And that's, that's, that's been kind of been the journey. So Jacob had to keep in mind what Joseph told him, even though he didn't like it, because he knew what it was like to have the light come on and realize God's here. So he thought, maybe God did this with Joseph. Maybe this, maybe we're going to bow down to him. Maybe he's going to be a ruler. I don't see it. It's sure kind of outrageous to me, but I know what God did for me. So maybe, maybe this is possible. Third, you realize that you have to pursue your dreams without trying to make your dream happen. Pursue your dream, but don't try to make it happen. Joseph's brothers hated him because Jacob, their father, preferred their little pet. Joseph even had this snazzy Elton John type of a coat of many colors, probably Versace. And he wore that among a bunch of shepherds working in a field. 
That would be like a, a rock and roll guy showing up at a biker convention. That wouldn't go real good, you know? Joseph was eccentric. Joseph stood out, and he enjoyed it too. I mean, with one ounce of wisdom, he would never have told brothers who hate his guts already, hey, y'all going to bow down to me. I mean, with the IQ of a potato, you'd know that's not a good idea. And the more he told the dream, the matter everybody got, including daddy. And Joseph had a dream from God, and he was trying to make it happen. Maybe you can feel inside yourself, I know I'm supposed to do this. I know God wants me to do this. Nobody else can see it. Nobody can see my talent. Well, nobody saw Michael Jordan's talent. His high school coach told him to quit. Record producers in America told the Beatles guitar bands were finished. Who's telling you? Hmm? And the feeling you have when you have a dream is, I got to make everybody else see it. No, you don't. They're going to hate you worse. If God called you to do something, pursue the dream. But don't try to make it happen. Don't impose that dream on other people. If God's given you a dream, then you pursue a life of integrity, and you walk towards that dream with a confidence, an internal guidance that somehow in life, with a heart that will do the will of God, He will lay out your life, open opportunities, create relationships that will move you towards that dream. And boy, that's been a life story in me, and it'll be your life story too. He will say, don't make it happen. The whole Middle Eastern mess is about two boys and a daddy and a mama who said, God gave us a dream of having a kid. And my wife, Sarah, her womb is dead. She's out of menopause. There's no hope. I'm an old man. I'm dead. So let's help God out. His wife comes up. Girls, listen. His wife came up with this. Well, God made a promise for a dream, so we got to help him out. I want you to go sleep with my handmaiden, Hagar. She's 22. She's hot. Abraham said, that's God. That's the best idea I've heard. <laughs> you can be holy all you want. That's exactly how this went down. <laughs> Abraham said, you are so sensitive to the Holy Spirit, sweetheart. I didn't want to say anything, but I, th I think it's God. And so he goes into this Egyptian woman and has a baby named Ishmael. And now, after all their efforts, and it's too late, God turns back their body clocks, reverses the aging process with no drugs, and makes her beautiful, gives him testosterone levels he never had before, and out comes Isaac. Ishmael, what flesh produces? Isaac? what God's Spirit produces with no help of your flesh. Don't help God out. God knows what He's doing. He wants to build you as much as He wants to build a dream. So you pursue a life of integrity, and you walk forward with internal confidence that that dream will come true. And when you try to make people see what you see and believe what you believe about your future, and your parents don't see it or your friends don't see it, you're going to end up with a lot of anger and frustration in your heart. Don't do that. If God's given you a dream, then God will fulfill that dream for your life. You don't have to manipulate people, use people, betray people, coerce people. You don't have to live in fear. You're going to lose the dream. You just pursue it. And God says, I'll bring it to pass. Though the vision tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. This is not permission to be passive 
or apathetic. It's just permission to give your life away and let the dream come true. I've discovered that when you're least trying to make your own life better, but you're trying to help others have a better life, your life suddenly gets better. You know, you work on the dreams of others, and God makes your dream come true. Jacob worked on the butler's dream, worked on the baker's dream, worked on Pharaoh's dream, and over 17 years, his dream came true. Nothing could stop that, not prison, not false accusation, nothing could stop it. And instead of saying, I got a dream, and y'all got to see it, and nobody sees it, and I'm not going to do anything but suck my thumb and be bitter, he just served. Wherever they put him, he just served. He got promoted, and he interpreted dreams, and he worked on dreams of other people. Finally, his dream came true, and so will yours. You know, there's a magnet in, in our hearts towards people who love to bless and help other people who aren't working on their dream at all. And they're not trying to impose it on people. You know, if you try to impose your dream and what you see on people, the more you try to impose it, the madder they get. The more criticism you're going to get, the more heck you're going to get. There's going to be opposition in your life big time because the world doesn't like dreamers. I hope you figured that out by now. And, the, and, and that means young people in here, your parents may not see it in you at all. They may not recognize what God's going to do in your future. And parents, you have to hold it in your heart and just consider it and keep an open mind. With God, anything's possible. You know, even in times of great pain and conflict, when people have said terrible things about you or hurt you, you can take a step back and say, okay, from everything that's been said or done, I want to take everything that's true and grow from it. And I know that most people will say mean things only to hurt you, not to help you. But there are some people who love you who will confront you because they don't want you to hurt yourself. The great thing about it is, even if your enemies try to destroy you, if you'll take what they've done or said and use it to become a better person, they've actually contributed to the success of your dream. God uses the, the devil as a handyman. He, he makes the wrath of man to praise him. So God didn't waste anything. Sometimes the enemy thinks he's killing you and chewing on you, and God says, oh, this is gonna make, I'm going to make you a better person. You're going to get stronger. You're going to fix this and fix that. And while you're growing the dream and building the dream and the vision, I'm building you. I'm giving you better integrity. I'm shaping up some of your character. God doesn't waste anything, folks. Joseph could have learned from his brother's reactions to his dream that he's coming off arrogant, proud, know-it-all, haughty, telling them they're going to bow down to him one day. And they don't like daddy's pet even before the dream. Now he's making it worse. Jacob, I mean, Joseph's relational skills, you'll have to agree, just suck. I mean, he's terrible, folks. I'm sorry. And he tries to force his dream on his family. But as Joseph goes through the crisis of being sold into slavery, you find his ability to relate to people exponentially increases with every crisis he faced until you find a man that has the greatest power in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. Pursue your dream. Don't try to make it happen. Don't impose it on other people. Don't tell people what you're going to become. Just become that and let other people acknowledge it. Proverbs 27, verse 2, let another man's lips praise you, not your own. It's so much better when other people said, man, you ought to be singing. Man, you should be organizing. You should be a doctor. You need to be an artist. You are such a cook, a chef. You ought to run your own business. 
People are telling you what they see in you, and that's how God affirms your dream. Honestly, think back in your childhood. Look in the books. What did people write about you in your high school yearbook or college yearbook or whatever? Some people saw stuff before you ever saw it. And they were telling you what you should be and what they saw in you. I tweeted the other day, instead of criticizing our bossy young girls, recognize the fact we got a leader emerging here. That bossy girl in the family is the one who's actually going to rule and reign, take over. She's going to be a leader. Now, she needs to have discipline, certainly. And she has to be shaped and forged and spanked. But at the end of the day, that's a leadership skill. Leaders don't say, okay. You want to? Okay. They got an opinion. It may not be right, but they got an opinion. Right? This is what makes leaders leaders. You don't get it out of Bible study. You either got it or you don't got it. It's a gift from God. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. A guy selling drugs on the street with four or five distributors, he's a leader. God gave him that gift. He's using it for a a, a wrong motive, but at the end of the day, he's a leader. How do you know it? People follow him. If you're out there, you got a private parking place, ain't nobody following you. You're just out for a walk. You ain't no leader. Where, where, Where are the people? It's not about being bad or good. It's just about God either made you one or not. And in the church, it's everybody wants to be a bishop, a prophet, an apostle, and a prophetess. And, uh, you know, just, just be what God made you to be and let others affirm it. Uh, people will see that. They'll recognize that in you. And then number four, and this is the bad one, you have to learn to embrace the pain of a dream. Genesis 37, verse 18. When his brother saw him coming, they said, here comes that stinking dreamer. Come on, let's kill him. Let's throw him in a deep pit. Let's tell daddy an animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Hatred, disdain, jealousy. Not just for Joseph, but for the dreams that he had. And maybe, just maybe, just for the fact he had a dream. Because his brothers don't have any dream. They've accepted their lot in life. They're just going along to get along. And now Joseph is challenging Reuben, the firstborn, the oldest in the family for his authority and place of greatness in the family is Joseph who's calling the shots, pointing things out, becoming and merging leader in the family. And they decide to kill him to get rid of him. So we have to recognize that a God-shaped dream is not a promise you won't have pain. It is a promise you will. You'll have disappointment, you'll have pain, you'll have heartache in your life. And a lot of people will reject a God-sized dream because they're afraid to risk. They just can't believe God will do anything great in their life. And most give up because when they start pursuing that dream and experience the pain or betrayal or heartache, they want out. But there's no dream worth pursuing that doesn't bring pain and disappointment. So we find in Joseph a life that's dominated by pain after the dream. Overwhelming disappointment after the dream. Unspeakable betrayal and violence against him because of the dream. Slander and malice against him because of the dream. And when you dream with God, you actually embrace the dream God has for your life. You're going to have the opportunity to become bitter towards God because all hell is going to go online against you. And it's easy to think God lied to you, God misled you, that God doesn't love you, that he tricked you. But nothing could be further from the truth. So a God-sized dream will not be free of pain. So you have to want to see God's greatness fulfilled in your life more than you want a life without pain and disappointment. And right out of the gate, Joseph experiences pain. 
I'm telling you, you cannot experience some of the most enjoyable things in life without some risk, without some hurt. I watched the outtakes for the X Games. I love to watch those guys on bicycles flip backwards and motorcycles. And, and, but what, what you don't see, you see the champions. What you don't see is how they learn to get there. And they're in, they're in wheelchairs and they're broken arms and broken shoulders and they're full of metal and pins. It's catastrophic. But you didn't see that. You just see the finish line. There, so to, to be there, there's a lot of pain. Same in sports. How, be, how many people have been married more than a day? There's, there's pain in marriage. You're going to have children. Oh, God, there's pain in having children. You, you'll swear, did, did, did we adopt this child? Could this child have come from the same, the same source of seed and egg? How is this possible? You'll just be, you'll be, but that's life, you know, and you have to embrace it. I don't think there's anything that you want to do that's worth doing where you can take out the pain or the potential for pain and some risk. Whether you start a new business, there's risk in it. And the silliest thing to say is that, well, for example, if you wreck the car, you can never drive again. Or if your toddler fell down, well, go sit down, stupid, you'll never walk again. Don't you even try. But everything that we're good at, we had to try, and we failed. And we, the Bible says, if a man fall, get back up. Though the righteous fall seven times, the Lord will uphold him. Get up eight. Just get back up. Get back up. Learn something. Sometimes you think you're, you're, you're pushing on the brake, and you're actually pushing on the accelerator, driving through a mall, through the doors <laughs> into a business. That's got to be exciting. But you don't tell your kid when they have a wreck or something like that, well, I guess that's it for you. You can't ever drive again. And the question a lot of Christians have to decide is, can I trust God to sustain me and move me forward even if I crash and burn? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody crashes and burns. And that God-given dream that was given to Joseph brought him an extraordinary life. That's what set him out from everybody else. That's what will set you out as well. And that's why if you're looking for a safe life, you're looking for a safe marriage, you're looking for a safe career, you're looking for nothing. No risk, no reward. No risk, no nothing. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And it may even involve your life. When Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream, to the point of his life, when Jesus decided to redeem humans, he didn't tithe his blood. He gave it all. He gave his whole life and laid it down. And I'm telling you, you have to say, okay, if you want to take my dignity, if you want to take, and he made himself of no reputation, you want a reputation, don't follow a God-sized dream. People will chew you up and spit you out. All the bench warmers know everything, but they've never done anything. Those are the opinions you don't pay any attention to. People have never done it, but they tell, they got opinions. You, you've got experience. You've been there, done it, and got a t-shirt. Be sure you listen to those people. They'll cheer you on. They'll be your best friend. They'll pray with you. They'll believe in you when it looks terrible. And everybody goes through those seasons. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.